Welcome to Out of Curiosity. Consider us your field guide for queer pride. You will hear from the best of the best in terms of queer business leaders, queer relationship experts, the activists working to protect us all, and everyday LGBTQ plus people that have figured a few things out so you don't have to. Out of Curiosity is brought to you by the Pride and Joy Foundation. Let's do this. One of my very favorite quotes is that if you're going to be in a long-term relationship with someone, you're going to attend thousands of mini funerals. This speaks to the idea that over time, people change, their old self dies, and we get to fall in love with the newest version of them. I'd love to turn this around and apply it to ourselves. If we're going to be in an authentic long-term relationship with ourselves, we need to attend a thousand mini funerals. We need to be willing to examine ourselves, our thoughts, actions, emotions, without preconceived ideas or judgment so that we can truly get to know ourselves and live healthier, more fulfilled lives. No one illustrates this idea better than today's speaker, Joris Lachane. Joris lives at the intersection of being black, gay, and neurodivergent. Not only do we get an inside look into his journey of self-acceptance and celebration, but we get to peek at the blueprint so that we can do the same introspection. We need to see how our own lives could improve when we're willing to drop the stereotypes, drop the judgment, and truly see ourselves. I give you Joris Lachane. Let's begin with what I tried to think as a, as 15 TikToks back to back. Uh, let's see if that works. Um, all right. So hello, everyone. I'm Joris and I'm gay. So let me set the scene with a little anecdote. The year is 2017. It's Pride season in Europe and I'm going to Madrid Pride with a group of friends. I was the only one in the group who had been to Madrid Pride before and the group elected to find a spot along the parade at a location that I knew was the end of the parade. So I kept telling them, let's not settle here. Nothing's gonna happen here until the evening. And by then the parade will be over. They wouldn't listen to me. I thought they were my friends, but once again, there was like an invisible barrier as if I was here with them, but without being here with them. And that was unfortunately a very familiar feeling to me. Eventually someone they vaguely knew who wasn't even part of the group walked past and told my group, hey guys, the parade won't get here until the end. You need to walk down there to catch the start of the parade. They heard that, they immediately grabbed their stuff and they started walking. So I'd been telling them that all along, but there was something, something that didn't get my message through to them. There was like an invisible barrier. And this is just one example, one anecdote of something that is the story of my life. So this today and yesterday, this is a queer summit. So I'm pretty sure you can all relate to growing up knowing deep down that you were different. Your family, your friends, your classmates, they all seem to be moving through life with an ease, with a confidence that you didn't seem to have. Sometimes you were good at pretending, you thought you were passing, but you knew that there was something a hidden side of you that you just couldn't share with other people because they wouldn't understand. If they knew, they might even reject you. Perhaps they wouldn't love you anymore. So you learned to sweep that under the rug, hoping that as you'd grow older, it would pass. 
but it didn't pass, did it? And then finally, there's the light. Finally, you're ready to accept who you are. Whichever letter of the LGBTQIA plus you identify with, coming out to yourself must have felt like a liberation. Finally, it clicked. Why you always felt so different. Why you struggled with your peers. Why you felt so lonely in a bubble that separated you from everyone else. To most of us, coming out to ourselves must have felt like a new superpower. Suddenly, we belonged. We started connecting with people like us. Our difference was finally explained. But not for me. That's not what happened with me. Yes, at first, coming out to myself and then to the world felt like a liberation. I was ready to connect, to find my tribe, find my people. But even with my new assigned tribe, it wasn't clicking. It didn't happen. We didn't click. The same rejection, the same misunderstandings I kept having with people before I came out, while I was having them again with gay people. I continued to feel odd, misunderstood, lonely. And this time it hurt even more because I couldn't explain my difference by the fact that I was gay, because they were gay too. It must have been me. I guess I'm just a boring asshole, a failure. People just wouldn't listen to me, wouldn't understand me. And then slowly over the years, I was slowly introduced to critical theory and more specifically critical race theory. And through that lens, I began to understand that racism was hiding in everyone unconscious bias. Hi, I'm Joris, I'm gay, and I'm black. I realized that my friends, the group of friends that I went to Madrid with, but also most of the people around in my life, although they were my friends, they were never over, and although they were never overtly racist, they were full of unconscious biases. So was I. I also learned to identify backhanded compliments on Grindr, for instance, as racism. You know, the references to my chocolate or cappuccino skin, questions about my BBC, and that's not the British Broadcasting Company um, for the Americans. I don't know if you know that, anyway. Or the amount of people telling me that they've never been with a black guy, but always wanted to try that kind of comment. I also understood that it's just a preference that that was racism too. And that was just as racist as any other forms of overt racism. So I thought I had the explanation. What I was experiencing was being gay and being black and my struggle to be understood, to connect with people, that was because of racism and homophobia. And that what explained why I was in a niche. But something was still not clicking. I really struggled with black people too. There was still this invisible barrier that prevented me to connect with them. The black people that I knew belonged to tight-knit communities with bonds and values that for some reason I always failed to grasp. Plus, there was something about the way that I talked, the words that I used, that always gave the impression that I was trying to pander to whiteness, which was never my intention, but that was just the way I talked. I was not trying to sound intellectual or anything like that. It, it, it was just my natural way of talking. And for some reason, I couldn't code switch as easily. There was something different about me that would also get me rejected by black people, by the black communities. And I just couldn't pinpoint what, even with gay black people, I still wasn't fitting in. Hi, I'm Joris. I'm gay, black, and neurodivergent. 
That means that my brain is wired differently. But rather than seeing it as an impairment or a disability, neurodivergence places my neurotype along with other neurotype along a beautiful, diverse rainbow. Just like sexual orientation and gender are on a spectrum, we now put my neurotype or other neurotypes along a spectrum. But I was, however, not autistic. Also, I thought. I was diagnosed as a gifted kid when I was four because I was showing signs of, signs of being much more intellectually mature that, than kids of my age. So I always sort of knew that I was different, but it never really impacted me, not that I could think of. In my, I was different in my reasoning, in my sense of logic, in my laser focus special interests that I completely knew was too weird for other people for me to even dare to share. But I had friends. I couldn't be autistic, right? Two years ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD. This too really helped me make sense of my difference and also helped me be less harsh on myself for failing at university and not live up to my potential. I was introduced to the social model of disability and began to accept that I wasn't lazy or stupid, but simply that my brain was different and responded differently to stimuli. That was the beginning of my journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance. I was introduced to the concept of compassionate inquiry, and I was quite fascinated by what I'd find out about myself. But my neurodivergence did not affect my social skills, I thought. I had a great sense of humor. I could get sarcasm, and I'm not socially unaware like uh, Sheldon Cooper, a rain man, or Forrest Gump. So I still wasn't autistic, right? And then came the lockdown. Nobody could move, nobody could leave the house, at least in the UK. And people were freaking out. People were panicking. People were in pain. And I could see that. I could feel it. But I wasn't experiencing it myself. I felt weirdly calm, weirdly re relieved. Why was everybody freaking out? At first, I put it down to the fact that I'd experienced struggles in my life. And, you know, in, in my field of work, I've been through times where I didn't know whether I was gonna book anything. I, my calendar was absolutely empty and I didn't know whether I would be able to pay the rent by the end of the month. So being at home with nothing to do, that is an experience that I already had before. So I thought, well, yeah, maybe it's just my experience of that that makes me calmer. But still something wasn't clicking. You know, people were really craving this human interaction and, and I wasn't. I was really chill. To me, I was getting just the amount of interactions that I wanted through internet and, and on Facebook and WhatsApp and social media. So what was it that made me so different? And then because I didn't have any external pressure, I could go for days without having a conversation with anyone. And I freaked out, not because I missed it, but because I didn't miss it. Something was really different about me. Why was I not missing so much human interactions? Why was I so comfortable in my bubble? Why was I so relaxed? And then I went on TikTok. I started an account. I started watching TikToks. And if you know a little bit about it, you know that the algorithm is extremely accurate in the kind of videos that it shows you. And it can connect you with people you don't even know you have something in common with. But the algorithm knows. 
And that was introduced to people who were talking about neurodivergence and on YouTube as well, people who were talking about ADHD that I really related with. And then there were people who had both ADHD and who were autistic, but they were not the kind of autism that I expected, the kind of autism that everybody thinks it looks like. They were just, they had social skills. They had, they were hyper communicators like I identify with. And suddenly I started to realize that the only reason that I wouldn't identify as autistic before was simply due to the, to the stereotypes about autism. And that yes, you can be autistic and have social skills. Yes, you can be autistic and communicate a lot. Because I also realized that, yeah, me going for days without having a conversation, without wanting to talk, that is also a form of autism. And even if that doesn't happen all the time, I found out that you can be nonverbal sometimes and very verbal other times, and that doesn't make you any less autistic. So I was diagnosed by TikTok. And what I also realized is that I had been masking my whole life because suddenly I didn't have any pressure. And this absence of pressure made me feel so relieved that that's when I realized how much, how hard I was trying before, how hard I was trying to fit in. And it's not that I don't enjoy social interactions. I love them, but they are an effort for me. And then after an interaction, I need days off just in my bubble without interacting with people. And that's something that I've never had the chance to realize before because I was working. I was, you know, every day I had to interact with people and, and I was extremely tired and I thought I was depressed, but I wasn't. I was just an autistic person who was spending all his energy into social interactions without even realizing that that was not natural to me. And then it's suddenly when society removed that pressure, that external pressure, that I could stay all day at home without feeling guilty for it because we weren't supposed to go out, then I realized how much more natural it felt to me. That was such a revelation. It's, that's what I call my autistic awakening. And that suddenly explained so many things about my life. That explained why I can't keep, I can't seem to keep friends. That explains why sometimes I meet people that I really, really enjoy and I want to spend time with them and I want to share things with them, but they don't seem to really, it doesn't, it's never reciprocated. It also explains my heightened sense of justice, why I would always get in trouble for things because I would stand up for what I think is right, but that was not necessarily socially appropriate. That explains my heightened emotions, why I would have, why I will feel so hurt by something that I knew that society was telling me is nothing. I shouldn't worry about it. Why I had such weird interests, special interests, and why things would bother me that didn't seem to bother anyone else. And then people would tell me, just chill. Why? It's not that deep. It's not that deep is the worst, the worst sentence. It's, it's almost traumatic for me because it's something that I've heard my whole life. And it feels horrible to be diminished for something that you care about. And, and I could never understand why. And I just thought it's an intelligence thing. And I ended up like thinking that people were stupid because it's not that deep. That's the way they operate. But now I understand that my brain is just wired differently. And that's part of my autism. I also understand that what is perceived as tantrums were actually with me meltdowns 
and I understand the difference now between a tantrum and a meltdown. And a tantrum is when you act or exaggerate your emotions to get your way, whereas a meltdown is literally you don't you can't make sense of what is happening and you don't understand why it's happening that way and it's just too much for you to deal with so you either shut down or you panic and and i really thought that i was a bad person for having those meltdowns because i thought like, people would tell me that I, that there were tantrums that i would care about insignificant things and that it was stupid ridiculous to care about that but now i know that i was just having autistic meltdowns and that also explains my failures in relationships, why I seem to be so attracted to men who were displaying an ease of navigating through social situations, why I've always intuitively known that I didn't have the codes to neurotypical social interactions and that I relied on a partner to sort of open the doors to me and be my social passport. But that also put me at a greater risk of falling for con men and narcissists. And that explains my long history with narcissist boyfriends. But that also explains why my inner world was richer than the real world. Why I could spend days imagining a different personality, a different world with, where physics would work differently and where my emotions would be so much stronger than in the real world. But then that also means that in the real world, when I would actually interact with people, nothing felt as strongly or as as interesting as as in my head so that often led me to think that you know the emotions that i would feel for someone they were not really true that was not the real thing because it was nowhere near as strong as what i had pictured in my head so it made me break up with many people who actually i could have fallen in love with but i didn't recognize that as love because my idea of love and the kind of love that i had that my brain had created was so much stronger. But that's the same for everything else. Everything was so much more interesting in my head and in my bubble than in the outside world. And now it suddenly made sense. That's autism for you. But that also explains why I'm so terrible at flirting, why I hate it. You know, you either want me or you don't. Why are we having to do all that dance? I hate non-spoken rules. If you send me the signals that you want me, why do we, do we have to go through this game? I don't understand the concept of making someone jump through hoops to let them give you what we've already established you both want. It doesn't make sense to me because I thrive in clarity. My entire content on TikTok, on YouTube, and here today, I hope, is based on ungraying the gray areas. And flirting seems like a completely artificially gray area that causes me stress and overthinking. I don't enjoy it. You think that it's cute, but meanwhile, I feel rejected and confused. Not a good, not a good thing. And that also explains why I hate going on dates. And up until I realized that I was autistic, I could never explain that to other people. And I just thought I was, you know, I, I didn't understand because it seemed to be, it seemed so natural to other people. And to me, I just couldn't be bothered. And the more I learn about my neurotype, the more I understand why. First of all, I have inbox anxiety. And whether, and Elena can confirm that, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, I have, yeah, I have inbox anxiety. And whether you, you met online or in real life, organizing a date always involves some messaging, message swapping. And I don't like that. 
it's like a gooey thing that I don't want to touch because ah, it's complicated and it requires me to reply and think about it. Oh, it's, it's just too much. I hate it. Second thing why I hate going on dates. I have to make decisions. I have to pick a place. I have to pick a time, decide on a program. Are we going for a drink? Are we going for dinner? Walk in the park? It's too many options to compare and too many potential outcomes. My ADHD brain this time hates that. And it gives me analysis paralysis. That's the name for it. And that's usually associated with ADHD. But hey, double whammy in my case, I'm autistic too. So I get both the best of both worlds. But if I tell my dates to choose, for instance, because it's too stressful for me, I come across as someone who lacks motivation and initiative. And that's not attractive. I would hate that in someone. So I don't want to display that. So I end up, you know, not really showing my true self. So that's why I hate dating. And other reason, I'm going to be late. I'm guaranteed to be late. I, and I was late today as well. <laughs> I have time blindness. And I know some people out there have very strict rules about not wanting to wait for someone on a first date. And I get that. It's a sign of respect. I respect it. I can often, it can often mean that the person is already not valuing your time. And that's fair enough. But remember that some people have time blindness and or anxiety, so maybe give them a chance. I might be autistic, but I actually really enjoy being sociable. I love getting to connect with people, or at least I love the idea. But when it comes to actually pausing whatever I'm watching, showering, picking an outfit, getting dressed, can we go on that date next week? Another reason why I hate going on dates, I hate conventions. And that goes with my autism. To me, it all feels like a dance routine that I didn't learn. It's all choreographed, and I don't know why. Things to say, things not to say, how to not appear too keen, not seem too uninterested, pretending like I'm focusing even though my mind is wandering off. It's so much work. And lastly, I hate small talk. I don't understand the social value of small talk. I don't get any relevant information about you from it. You don't get any relevant information about me from it but I know that refusing to engage in it will make me sound rude. So I have to do it and I hate it. And also, no matter how well the date is going, about one hour into the date, my brain will be begging me to go home and watch nerdy shit on YouTube whilst eating my bowl of milk and cereals as, as I always do. But I will be fighting that urge with all my willpower because I'm on a date. But from that point on, my date will have no idea of the internal battle that's going on in my brain, but that's probably going to make me act weird. So those are seven reasons why I hate going on dates. It's just too much effort. Literally, none of my relationships have ever started with a date, so I don't even bother anymore. But still, there was, there was something different. Because I feel like I'm like other autistics. You know the trope, not like other girls. Well, for a very long time, that's also what kept me from identifying as autistic. I'm not like other autistics. Hi, I'm Joris. I'm gay, black, neurodivergent, autistic. I'm a model and I'm a public speaker. Like most people who capitalize on their image, I used to get a lot of messages online. Well, what if I told you that I've discovered a surefire way to never receive unsolicited dick, unsolicited dick pics anymore? What's my secret, you might ask? Openly talking about my autism. That's my secret. Thanks to the wonderfully inaccurate portrayal of autism in the media, autism was the superpower I never asked for to get me out of being fetishized as a black gay man and objectified as a model. 
I don't know if any of you have ever been to the UK, but over here, the traditional sinks have two faucets, a hot one and a cold one on either side of the sink. So to wash your hands, you have to quickly alternate between freezing cold and scorching hot. And everybody finds it normal here. Well, I think that's a good analogy for my image. I'm having to choose between capitalizing on my first traps as a model and being stereotyped as unattractive and asexual for being autistic. And I'm comfortable with neither end of that image spectrum. And that's rather ironic because yes, some autistic are asexual, but many autistic are very sexual. In fact, there are no stats available, but I'm pretty sure that autistic people are overrepresented among models and sex workers. And there's a socioeconomic explanation to autism and sex work. In the UK, only 16% of diagnosed autistic are in employment. And that was even before the pandemic. I don't even know how bad it must be now. The huge majority of us are either barred access to employment, or if we manage to secure a job, we find ourselves in a hostile, a hostile corporate environment that doesn't accommodate for our needs and whose rules are completely incomprehensible to us. So it is no surprise that many autistic people resort to sex work to survive. Now there's another reason why many of us actually enjoy this kind of work. Think about it. Sex work, as well as modeling, and yeah, I have no problem drawing parallels between the two, even though I only have experience modeling, but it's also a form of making money with my body. I'm cool with that. Both activities define very clearly what is expected of all parties. Everything is discussed and agreed upon beforehand, both for models and for sex workers. There are no gray areas, and all the parties involved know exactly what they're getting out of it and what is expected of them. For autistic people who typically struggle with implicit rules, conventions, and social cues, the setting of sex work or modeling can actually feel much safer than your typical office job. If you add to that, in my case, the luxury of having agents dealing with all the admin work, now that I'm also an educator and a speaker, and I don't have an agent doing all the admin work for me, I realize how much I actually need accommodation and how much I'm not cut for that part of the job. So in retrospect, I totally understand why I instinctively choose, chose this career after my failed attempts at university. And that leads me to the last struggle of an autistic gay man that I would like to talk about with you today. It's the notion of being an adult, and in my case, a man, whilst a cis man, whilst being autistic. Accepting my autism, that also means accepting that sometimes I do need some extra time to understand what's going on. I do need some help to accomplish basic tasks, like, like answering my emails, sending invoices, reading instructions. I can feel completely overwhelmed and lost when I'm stressed in public. And, have no brain and I can have my brain freeze and feel like crying in the middle of the street. As much as I perceive myself as a strong man with a sense of initiative, a go-getter, a problem solver, ambitious, creative, bold, I also have to find a way to fit my autism and the special needs that come with it into this idealized image of myself that I have. And that's not easy. It's not easy to feel attractive in the presence of a partner when I'm having to ask for his help, and when the circumstances force me to reveal my weak side to them on the first date because the vending machine is not working and I can't comprehend what's going on and I just flip out. 
you know, having a meltdown right in the middle of the street in front of someone who's met me for the first time. It's not easy to perceive yourself as, as a full-on adult when some of your needs are typically associated with being childish and immature. So that, those are the things that I'm still working through. I wish I had some concrete answers or, or tips to, as to how to deal with being autistic and an adult and, and dealing with being sexualized, being dealing with your image, but I don't really have those answers. This is just where I'm at at the moment, discovering. But for a very long time, I always thought I, I finally understood why I'm so different, why I feel like there's such a separation between me and the rest of the people. And every time I was right. Yes, being gay, that, that isolated me and that made me marginalized. Yes, being black, living in Europe or anywhere in the world, actually, that also really deeply affected the way I interact with people, the way I perceive the world. And yes, being neurodivergent also it made me see life through the lens of a margin. And on top of that, being autistic, which is a neurodivergence as well, but I realized it later. On top of that, being autistic also explains everything. So I feel like in the past few years, I've gone through all those awakenings that suddenly seem to explain everything. And then suddenly there was still something that wasn't quite right. So I don't know what the next thing will be. Maybe that was the last one, the last awakening I'm gonna have to go through, or maybe this is it. I don't know. I'll tell you in a few years, I guess. Most sincere thanks to Joris for sharing his story so deeply with us. It was incredibly vulnerable and we're so grateful. If you haven't followed Joris already on social media, we have all his links in the show notes. Another valuable link in there is the article we wrote regarding the massive overlap of neurodivergence and LGBTQ people. Some studies are suggesting it's as high as 40% of LGBTQ people are also neurodivergent. Parents and organizational leaders especially need to check out that article so that the information can be used to increase inclusion, safety, and belonging within the most important areas of our lives. From everyone at the Pride and Joy Foundation, thank you so much for listening today. We appreciate you, fam. Be good to yourself.